Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Mark. And I'm Pastor Zach. And we thank you for joining us today. Uh, thanks for being patient. We took last week off from the podcast. I was on vacation in beautiful Santa Barbara, camping with my family, and um, we had a wonderful time there. And uh, <laughs> here we are back, though, to pick up really part two of something that we started several weeks ago. Uh, I think it was three weeks ago now at this point. Uh, conversation of, uh, that we're calling Twisted Christianity. So today we're going to be discussing theological liberalism. And um, if you are tuning into this episode of Reform Podmatics, you're going to hear uh, quite a bit of critique, uh, honest rebuke of some bad theology that is popular in America and uh, really throughout Western Christianity. And please don't listen to only this episode uh, as uh, just these Reformed guys, Calvinists who rag on the theological liberals, because we have recorded an episode already taking aim at um, fundamentalism and Mm -hmm. a lot of the dangers that arise probably a little bit closer to home for us in uh, fundamentalist circles, theologically conservative circles. And uh, there are various issues and errors that creep in in that context. And today we're looking at what you might call uh, the other side of the road, that is this uh, this issue of theological liberalism. Yeah, I think we want to be careful here in making sure that uh, as we look at each of these two movements, which really arise about the same time, mm, um, yeah. and they kind of have always, ever since their, their rise, have fed off of one another, sure. we want to be as fair as possible in, in evaluating them. And so some of the ways we'll go about this will sound familiar. If you've listened to that episode from a few weeks ago, I believe that was episode 81, uh, where we talked about fundamentalism. Uh, mm-hmm. we'll, the sort of outline is even similar as we think about how to to process through some of these, uh, some of the strengths and weaknesses, some of the dangers or errors mm-hmm. of these two movements. Um, some of the problems are actually the same. Yeah, as we look at fundamentalism and liberalism, there are actually yeah. uh, it would seem like they're going to be have opposite problems, uh, and in some cases that is true. Uh, maybe fundamentalists have the law emphasis and lack mm-hmm. mercy. The mm-hmm. liberal emphasis is low on the law and high on mercy. So that that would be an example of getting that um, equation wrong. But some of the other issues that we'll find are actually basically the same problem among hardcore fundamentalists and hardcore uh, theological liberals. And even as we start the conversation, it's important to note that when we use this term of liberalism, um, it it basically has, in American parlance, a (laughs) political um, interpretation. And we mean it in the theological, philosophical sense. Uh, So German liberalism um, Mm -hmm. really gave rise to 
uh, a new way of understanding the Bible in particular, a new way of understanding Christianity. Um, this is a movement that just exploded, um, started in Germany, exploded into England and the Western world, mm -hmm. um, starting in the mid-1800s is really where it started to take off after the Enlightenment had taken hold yeah. in those cultures. Its roots and, go back to the 18th century, yeah. the 1700s, but really it's full bloom by the 19th yeah. century. And, and so already by pretty much World War One era, World War Two era, um, in academic circles, among people who even study the Bible and religion, it was almost ubiquitous to assume atheism, to assume the Bible is just a human work. Um, and, and that might surprise some people because when they think of American history, they think of good old mom and baseball and apple pie and how <laughs> we've just always you know, been on the right path until these, these new liberals sort of come around in the yeah. sexual revolution in the 60s. But in academia, it, it was certainly the case um, really until men like Alvin Plantinga uh, come along and say, no, there is a place for uh, seeking, uh, for defending religion in philosophy. Hmm. And um, until really that uh, 60s, 70s, Francis Schaeffer was another big name in hmm. defending um, orthodox theology and philosophy. Uh, theological liberalism was basically assumed among academics for really yeah. almost the better part of a century. That Bavink certainly argued against it at the turn mm -hmm. of the last century, where in higher academia in the Netherlands in his day, um, 1890s yeah. to World War One era, it is just assumed that a thinking person has a low view of the authority of Scripture hmm. and a um, what, what is really called theological liberal approach to Christianity. Yeah, and I think that that's a good place to start in properly defining what we mean by liberalism because it's easy to throw that word around, liberal, as if yeah. it's a scare word or if it's uh, a derogatory word. Mm -hmm. um, living in a conservative part of California, and that's, of course, speaking in generalities, mm -hmm. but you, you will often hear people refer to liberals as a very derogatory way. Oh, those those liberals. Or you will hear various... Uh, changes on that word like yeah. liptards Lef leftist <laughs> yeah. yeah leftists as if these are yeah. all really really just bad things inherently um and i don't think that either of us we, we are not we are not liberal <laughs> uh we do lean more conservative i think that that is in a clear, number of ways yeah and we need to be honest about that um but so that's going to paint how you listen to this of course as well but we do want to be as fair as possible and try really hard not to straw man and so, yeah, it's good to look and start with that historical background of what liberalism is. Um, it's, it is a philosophical movement. Uh, and it's, it's not just people who today you have progressives who are sort mm. of like the, the 21st century uh, iteration of liberalism and progressives are liberal often without a lot of the, the academic backing background or the philosophical depth of, mm -hmm. of historical liberalism. They take a lot of the things as just assumed and then they work off of that. But liberalism is, it is a, it does have a long history and we need to be respectful of that while also being able to point out some of the, the major flaws in the tradition as well. And so if we were to try to define hmm. liberalism, I think we could say that, it's a movement that has tried to reinterpret Christianity 
and the Christian tradition in light of ad- advances made in in human study um, and knowledge over the course of the past 300 years, really, mm-hmm. ever since the Enlightenment. Um, Especially and the, Darwinian yes, uh, that's, evolution. Yeah. That's why the 19th century is such a high point in the, the movement of liberalism. Um, finally, what, off, what, what Darwin offered was a way of more or less coherently explaining the origins of the world. Um, we could debate whether yeah. it was truly coherent, but that was that, that's sort of yeah. the, the assumption is that with Darwinian evolution comes a way of explaining the origins of, of our species, the origins of life, uh, and it really begins to uh, allow for people to think that they can explain the existence of all that is without reference to any sort of divine being. And so it was a great opportunity uh, for people to, of course, reject faith altogether. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of people who were still wanting to hang on to some of the remnants of the Christian tradition and the Christian faith, uh, they began to try to reinterpret it all in light of these new advancements. And so they began to take modern science as foundational and begin to now reread the Christian scriptures um, to re- reinterpret some of the most profound doctrines of the Christian faith um, and begin to assess them according to these new assumptions that human beings are now making. And so... Yeah, one of the examples maybe is uh, the historical yeah. Adam and Eve. And sure. so um, as I think every Christian must believe in a historical Adam and Eve in order to yeah. to understand the fall, in order to understand the nature of sin, and particularly original sin, mm-hmm. um, one must hold to a ancestral couple who were the father and mother of all humanity. And um, mm-hmm. the, the liberal theologian would um, approach general revelation, the things that are found in science, and say, um, no, I reject the historical Adam and Eve, and so therefore... Um, yeah. I will now reject the doctrine of original sin, um, these historic interpretations of mm-hmm. uh, of the Bible, um, historic dogmas um, of the church because of what I've seen in science. Yes, yeah, it's a change of authority then. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the scriptures are not the foundational authority for the liberal Christian. Um, and but- it's, a, in addition to that, it's a, I would say it's often a rejection also of the supernatural yeah, so, uh, I mean, that's uh, what it especially was yeah. back in the early stages. Because people are getting all excited. Uh, we can explain the origin of the universe um, yeah. with Darwin and with physics, uh, with Stephen Hawking, you know, and people say, wow, it, it just looks like everything is explained yeah. now. And so we don't need a supernatural explanation for right. the origin of life. Um and it's uh, theological liberalism is often very suspicious of um, miracle claims, um, including not just the biblical miracle claims, but miracles in the world today. They would just say, oh, it's just something we can't explain yet, or um, whether that's with science or philosophy, we can't quite explain it. And so yeah. um, the jury's still out. Uh, liberals often will actually sound a lot like agnostics in in that way um i would say yeah. uh, there are theological liberals in the church but often 
they will sound a lot more like an agnostic in suspicion mm. about supernatural phenomena. Yeah, this is very uh, clear. A good example of this is Rudolf Boltmann's project of demythologization. Mm, absolutely. Uh, trying to basically reread the scripture and all the things that, are, that seem mythological, like the resurrection mm-hmm. um, or the, the virgin birth. Well, we, we just... We can just dismiss that sort of thing, and we can we can pick that out and say, well, of course, this was just written by somebody who had a totally different worldview, and they believed in all these sorts of things being possible. But now we modern people we know better, and so we can we can strip that out. And so, again, you, what you're seeing in all of this is how the authority for all things is uh, enlightened human reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not so much scripture being the authority or much less tradition um, mm. but it is it is the human mind and the human understanding of knowledge and reasoning rationality um, which of course Christianity has always held a high place for uh, but when it comes to thinking about theology and trying to inst- in, in, trying to understand the Christian life uh, we have always seen every Christian Protestant even Catholic or Orthodox have always seen scripture, to be fundamental to that and having the highest occupying occupying the highest place now catholics and orthodox will have different ways of adding tradition to that protestants would put tradition uh below scripture but then thirdly all of these these traditions would see reason human reason as Mm -hmm. a part of how we theologize and think Mm -hmm. about our world but really that was a sanctified human reason. That's human reason as it has been reformed and renewed according to God's word by the Lord. And so it's not just unbridled human reason uh, running rampant, um, but it is it is human rationality that has been amended by God as our minds have been renewed. I'm thinking here, of course, of Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Um, and so it wasn't just rationality run amok, but that is what has it has become. The, the the ultimate arbiter now for truth is whatever, um, quote unquote, the smartest people suggest mm. is mm-hmm. truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see a a flip of what is seen or seen to be as being ultimately authoritative. Yeah, and um, so I, I wonder where do you see this in our own context i mean are we just launching some uh some missiles here uh, uh at people far away from us or yeah um do we have some signs um or uh maybe developments around us that that are starting to lean a little bit more towards a theological liberalism what do you think yeah so that's this is a really good question for us to think about because it helps us to see that liberalism really exists in the same way as fundamentalism does on a spectrum yeah and so there's people who may be a little bit more liberal or a little bit less liberal but it may, it doesn't always need to be seen as total heresy um and so yeah i have friends that are i would say more liberal than i am um are they denying the essentials of the christian faith uh, sometimes they might, and sometimes they may not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, yeah, in our own context here in the CRC, we think of our own denomination. I think, yeah, of course, there are there are uh, liberal people, Christians, even pastors, mm-hmm. um, theologians, academics, 
who are not just a little bit more to the left, but who are pretty uh, far to the extreme side of the of the left part of the, <laughs> yeah. of the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we do face this. And so this is part of what's going on in the CRC in general. Now, having been in the Episcopal Church for <laughs> a few years, um, I think what I saw there was far worse, even than the worst that I've seen in the CRC. Uh, so that... that we do have that going for us, but um, I think we we definitely face it. And there's a loud minority of of people pushing for um, liberal theology in our denomination. Yeah, and that I, I agree. It's there at that high level, but it's also at the you might say the lowest level too. Where yeah, exactly. You know, young people, in particular, um, not just young people, but yeah, a lot of young people who consume a lot of media. Um, have grown up in, I would say, quite quite a liberal yeah. um, world society. with the worldview, yeah. world uh, society. Um, for example, uh, this whole mantra of "you do you," just let mm-hmm. let everyone do their own thing. Um, you know, uh, kind of a low view of what I would call objective, universal truth, and more of a subjectivity to understanding yeah. the world. Um, I would say a dismissive view of parental authority, a dismissive view of institutional authority, mm-hmm. um, including ecclesiastical authority. Uh, this isn't to say that all the young people in our church are just like walking out the door. It's not. <laughs> not that's not it at all. But um, there, in our culture, there is a zeitgeist of liberal um, attitudes towards institutions and authority. Yeah. Um, that is, uh, I would say, deconstructive, uh, if not destructive, completely mm-hmm. of anything traditional or conservative yeah. or um, something to maintain the, the wisdom of the past or um, mm-hmm. old mores and norms. Um, yeah. it, it's so popular to question those things, uh, whether that's done through uh, questioning doctrines or um, discipleship methods uh, things like Christian school, uh, all all of these, each of these things that are, are are beneficial and even good, are questioned. Uh, of course, each of them have varying degrees of importance. We would mm-hmm. never want to put uh, the doctrines of uh, <laughs> Christianity on par with Christian school education. But uh, each mm-hmm. questioning each one is a popular and even I would say normal thing to do among particularly many young people in the church today. Yeah, and this isn't really the, even the worst thing. People may be hearing us saying that there's lots of yep. liberalism even in low, the lower parts of our denomination, meaning like the younger people or people who are just laity. Mm-hmm. Are there are there liberals among us even here in Ripon? <laughs> yeah, there, yeah. There, there are. And that's actually not the worst thing ever. Um, now, we would have our our scuffles, our debates, our differences of opinions, for sure. Um, And I think that there are serious times where liberal theology can drastically err so bad that I think it it definitely goes to the point of heresy. Mm -hmm. And I think that fundamentalism can do that similarly. Um, But if we think about the strengths of liberalism, we, we... we should think about the weaknesses too, but if we think about the strengths, we can see that it's not all bad that some young people are more prone to this. Now, mm-hmm. I think as a youth pastor, I, I, I do think about these things quite often, and I do um, 
want to prepare my my students to think deeply and to uh, interact and to question their own sort of uh, beliefs that they've grown up with, but to do so in a way where they can uh, work through them in a way that will be faithful to Scripture and ultimately end with them, I hope, following Jesus with even more zeal and more love and passion, um, not to walk away from their faith, but to wrestle with these things as they as they grow and to allow themselves to to ask good questions and to find really good answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so liberalism isn't the worst thing ever. Um, we should look at this, the strengths. And so what are some strengths that we see? That should be a question we ask ourselves. Well, that questioning of the status quo that I referred to just now yeah, yeah. is it can be very Christ-like. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, uh, you, ha- you have to consider if you're a conservative person, that Jesus did spend a significant amount of his ministry challenging legalism yeah. and challenging this old way of doing things that, that heaped more and more rules and structure and burden, essentially, on hmm. people with the law. And so um, I think that liberals, liberal theologians um, and lay liberals as well, often abuse that that tendency of Jesus to um, challenge the status quo, and then they think automatically they're the new Jesus-like reformer who yeah, can Jesus just challenge is a revolutionary, everything. Yeah. So we, just, as long as we're revolutionary and we question everything and we attack right. everything, then we're being like Jesus. We're Jesus-centered <laughs> if we do that, right? Because yeah, and <laughs> you're going to see that if you read a liberal theologian's blog or something. That that's going to be right there. Yeah. Is I'm being like Jesus. I'm questioning mm-hmm. the status quo. Okay, well, the reason that that's popular is that there is some truth to that, Mm -hmm. that he came in and he went into the temple, a sacred place, and he turned over the tables and he was angry. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes when people get angry about injustice, um, oppression, uh, Jesus was angry about Mm -hmm. those things in his day. Yeah, And so um, these uh, impulses, you might say, of the the liberal theologian or, or the, the theologically liberal person are are not pure evil um mm-hmm. in fact can be christ-like in certain circumstances yeah there's a there's a certain feature of liberalism that is that can be healthy mm-hmm. um there's a sensitivity in liberalism to um problems of power being abused mm-hmm. um to imbalances of power uh, taking place to mindless devotion to things, yeah, I think uh, that that's that's a big one among philosophical liberalism is like we're going to question all the foundations and particularly with Nietzsche, mm-hmm. it's like we're going to tear down this thing that's worthless and that's actually bringing society in the wrong place. And he was mm-hmm. the ultimate deconstruction uh, philosopher, and it, it led him into nihilism and just a, a rejection yeah. of all meaning and into <laughs> absolute misery. Um, but that impulse to say, are we just unthinkingly accepting all kinds of things or um, at times is it good to challenge the status quo? That can be a good thing that Christians can do. Yeah, yeah. And then like a lot of these, I think, a lot of the strengths of liberalism sort of focus on half-truths. Maybe that's a critique, a backhanded compliment. (laughs) Um, But like you've said, progress is good. That's another thing. And so, I mean... That's with questions the titles of 
progressive and yeah. conservative. Conservatives are trying to conserve something. Um, now, that's not to say they're conservationists, although a lot of con- conservatives <laughs> are. But they want to conserve, yeah, historic wisdom, historic ways of of modes of being, essentially, of ways of living um, as much as possible, um, given if, it, if it's truly good. Uh, whereas the progressive wants to basically assume that that which is past is bad and we want to progress beyond that. We want to go further and make things better. So whether we see things the same way, I think the idea that progress is good is that, yeah, progress can be good, um, provided that it, that it's genuine, genuinely good progress. Well, how do we define good? Well, that's where I think a lot of the issue comes in here. Um, how do we, how do we determine whether a cultural advancement or a societal advancement or an advancement in the church is truly a good advancement? Uh, is it just, is goodness dependent on the sort of majority of whatever denomination decides is good or is goodness determined by God's word? Uh, that's a huge debate, I think. But the idea here is that, yeah, we should be always uh, wanting to reform, mm-hmm. reshape our our beliefs, our actions, our lives according to God's word. And so this is why in the Reformed tradition you will hear the famous line of uh, ecclesia reformata et semper reformanda, which means the church reformed and always being reformed or always, yeah, always reforming. Mm-hmm. And so the idea here is that we always want to reform ourselves according to God's word. And every generation we will seek new light from God's word in order to refine the church. Uh, this whole idea though often gets corrupted by those on the, the theological left to say we should always be updating and just, uh, the spirit is still speaking and God is <laughs> God is still changing the church and therefore the church should change its opinions, its mm. long-held beliefs on ethics or morality uh, and really update itself and get with the program and have a, have a facelift essentially. Mm. Um, and so that's where that idea can go seriously wrong, I think. Well, then this progress point, um, it might surprise some people to know Herman Bovink was in favor of women's suffrage. And that was progress in yeah. his view. And yeah. Herman Bovink was in favor of unions. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that would surprise a lot of conservative mm-hmm. people today who are very anti-union. And, yeah. and um, that isn't to say that, that unions in Bovink's day were exactly the same as what unions are today. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it is to say that I think the reformed person will actually seek progress and we can be tempted to look back and assume Herman Bovink or Abraham Kuyper or John Calvin or Augustine just agreed with us on all of the conservative finer points of theology and life and doctrine. Yeah. Um, and, and so actually learning history and, and seeing where um, Augustine wanted things to change and uh, Luther certainly wanted things to change. It was a challenger of the status quo, yeah. if there ever was one. Um, and uh, and Calvin as well. Uh, even taking positions, very precise positions, that at times modern conservatives actually oppose. Yeah. And sometimes doing so for very good reasons, good theological reasons, like uh, like uh, unions, for example. Yeah, for, to for protect Bobby. the worker. Yeah, and, and so... Um, I, I think that conservatives can 
be very guilty mm-hmm. of just looking at things the way they are and saying, no, this is the way it always has been, it always should be. And uh, the liberal challenger to that um, can be can be a good, a, a blessing from God in moving us forward and outside of, of mm-hmm. our very narrow, perhaps, understanding of the world and, and God. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point. Um, as you're saying all of that, I'm just thinking about how for various conservative Christians, the Christian heroes of the past are evangelical. Are mostly, yeah. <laughs> American and evangelicals. And they vary, they're very similar to us, whereas yeah. there are Christians in the past, um, various saints or reformers who were known for uh, really caring about the poor, for example. Yeah, Francis of Assisi. Yeah. yeah. And so he often gets sort of poo-pooed in conservative circles, yeah. um, but nevertheless, he was a significant figure in the history of the church and actually bringing reform uh, to the, the the medieval church mm-hmm. um, that we can't just dismiss. We should, we should receive his witness, his life as a, uh, as a genuine, uh, healthy, helpful life in the history of the church. So we should look to people like that uh, or yeah, to a mother Teresa to mm. mention a more yeah. recent example. Oh, yeah. um, well, and, and I guess, my point too is we just want to make those he- heroes like us yeah, in so many yeah. ways. And I, I think uh, when you actually study church history, you'll find um, that people were complicated and um, both sides of the aisle can do this. Uh, the, the modern liberal can look at Francis of Assisi and ignore all of his love for the cross, his absolute love for the sacrifice of Christ. Yeah. And um, and say ah he just he was just a medieval he loved to go feed yeah. the birds and yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. care for the poor and 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 there he, you know that that's really what we like about him mm-hmm. uh, or even Martin Luther King Jr. and and ignore the the religious roots of of that movement and just yeah. paint him in the sort of twenty twenty two liberal mind mm-hmm. uh, um, kind of way of understanding the world and uh, almost view everything through that filter. Conservatives can do this with John Calvin and yeah. and Augustine and Jesus himself, yeah. and so so can the liberal person. So I, I guess that's my my point. Yeah, on it's the constantly a danger of painting. Yeah, making Christianity out to be what you whatever you politically believe is true already. Sure, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, I think, too. <laughs> that's is that a big one. A lot of times, our theological beliefs are more influenced by our political or sort mm. of cultural assumptions, um, and so we often don't check those we we leave those unchecked and we therefore take a theological position sort of reflexively yeah Um, oh another how how about this um positive you might say of uh, theological hmm. liberalism is that um it does look um very clearly at times at some of the the moral issues in in the conservative theologically conservative christian Hmm. church um yeah and and so in that regard, it can be a very good thing that the Christian Reformed Church, in, for example, is more a bit more theologically diverse than yeah. um, than some of the more narrow Reformed persuasions, because uh, we do need to refine one another. There's and, an integrity that happens, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and so, for example, um, something like Christian nationalism or uh, just this uh, unchecked 
um, I would say, idolatrous patriotism, which is very popular in theologically conservative circles. Actually, Christian nationalism is very present in theologically liberal circles as well. But um, yeah. but but that can That's we can we can challenge one another on that and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, it seems like you're you're getting too a little bit too excited about um, America as God's chosen nation, the light of the world, and so forth. Um, and so at times it can be a, a blessing to hear uh, critiques from that yeah. side of the theological aisle towards us. We need that correction. can be a, a word from the Lord. Yeah, amen to that. Um, one of the things that has stuck out to me recently on along these lines, we, we're, we've been reading a book, Mark and I, with a couple other pastors from our area called Unchanging Witness mm. uh, by two different uh, theologians. Um and it's a fairly helpful book. Um, and one thing that has stuck out to me is it charts the history of the church's approach towards homosexuality, uh, really from the very beginning up until the modern day. And it's interesting how throughout the medieval period, um, just for example, how staunchly and robustly the church critiqued uh any sort of homosexual activity um, without offering what I would consider much of a pastoral response to how to actually be helpful to, to yeah, people sure. who, who have who struggled with this uh, temptation. And so what's something I liked from reading more recent as it goes into the modern era, it gives church position papers on on the issue of homosexuality. And even reading the, the our own denomination's position in the book was really interesting, and how careful I think it was handled by the CRC. That was this was back in 1973 at the synod uh, back then. But I think that having differences of opinion must have led to that decision being as carefully worded as it was. And you can sometimes overqualify things and. You can go so far in trying to explain something that you kind of lose the the real profound meaning of it, uh, the substance of it. But I think that you also do need to be careful. And so having um, having more liberally minded people who are more sensitive, oftentimes to yeah the human impact, how how certain mm-hmm. positions will affect real human beings, yeah. that helps us to account for how our positions taken at a synod meeting will really affect people. Um, and that, that is a really good thing. It helps us to be uh, more aware sensitive, of, yeah. yeah, more sensitive, which yeah. that can sensitivity and being, uh, being aware of things, uh, having sympathy or empathy. Uh, it can be, it can go too far. I think, I think that's true. Uh, but it's not a bad thing to, to to be a sympathetic person, to be able to to sympathize with somebody who is who is struggling with something and going through something that for them is very difficult. And so those are some of the strengths of of liberalism, I think, as we can see it. There may be other things that make it appealing and attractive to people. Um, there's various things we could lift off. One of the ones is that it, it often appeals to the virtue of mercy, which mm-hmm. is a genuine Christian virtue. Um, and sometimes 
people who are attracted to liberalism within the church have seen uh, people who are self-professed conservatives lack mercy. Mm -hmm. And so that can create a a desire on the part of many to sort of join forces with the more liberal wing of the church. And I think that those are um, genuine appealing things that, uh, and there's, I would say good reason though. I maybe disagree with that move. I, I can at least understand where people are coming from, but I think it's also important that we do turn now to talk more of the errors and dangers of progressivism mm-hmm. because there are there are plenty. Um, and so, Mark, as we think about the errors and dangers of progressivism, what would be the first that comes to mind for you? Yeah, it, as I answer the question, I guess I want to say there are we already noted that there's a spectrum here there's a continuum there are those who are so far into uh, theological liberalism that really they are not christian at all and almost don't even care to associate with the church um or want to be called a christian um but then there (laughs) there are some also who are quite close to uh to us even and in the christian reformed church there are people who lean in a theologically liberal direction. And Mm -hmm. so as I answer the question of some of the dangers, I want to help people not just look at the obvious danger of doubting the historicity of the Bible, doubting the resurrection of Jesus. Those are the obvious things that we can just say, like that's not even a Christian anymore. But we want to help people notice some of those theologically liberal leanings because they are dangerous and unbiblical. And so that's a big way of starting to answer the question, but I would, I would say it's among those people who have some theologically liberal leanings who you will not hear. Um, the, the way that they handle the word, the way that yeah. they preach is not biblical. And um, they may say things that are biblical, but the attitude towards Scripture itself, um, like the Bible says that, that God desires worshipers who will tremble at his word, hmm. um, who will be in awe of yeah. of Christ and of this privilege to speak the word of God, to open the Bible, to um, like what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we are um, entrusted with the mysteries of God. Hmm. And to have a really high view of that um, is often very lacking in theologically liberal contexts where the Bible is seen more as wisdom literature. It, it, yeah. Maybe they don't say this outright, but it, it can feel like, let's open this book and find some some nuggets for yeah. wisdom and how to live and how to get through this crazy life. You know, like... Um, <laughs> now, there is wisdom literature yeah. in Scripture. And th- there is... Proverbs th- is kind of lots of nuggets <laughs> sure. in some sense. But even Proverbs... Um, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, yeah. lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So even just how that is said mm-hmm. in a theologically liberal context, um, is there a gravitas or a weight to the word of God? I think I think no. Mm-hmm. And so that that's how I would want people to um, look at the Christian Reformed Church, uh, the, the banner articles that you read, um, the the things that you hear from maybe professors, whether that's at uh, Calvin or the seminary or, or something like that, and and ask, 
is this person absolutely trembling at the word of God? Hmm. And, and furthermore, I, I think when you do tremble at God's word and have an awe for it, handle it yeah. carefully, but with, with confidence knowing that we have the ministry of reconciliation, that's our, our role is to proclaim the word. Uh, furthermore, I would say um, the liberal person, you would really never hear the call to faith, the call to hmm. repent, the call to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Yeah. It is by no other name that man can be saved than by the name of Jesus. Just read those sermons from Peter in the book of Acts. We're reading them in our evening services now. And ask yourself, does this sound anything like yeah. what I would hear on Sunday? Yeah. Um, Peter's sermons, that's from Peter's sermon. There is no other name under heaven by which man must be can be saved. Than, there's a forcefulness to this. There's boldness. There's an edge. Yeah, there's boldness. Yeah, there's there's the proclamation. It's declarative. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's what I would say would be one of the the lacking um, issue. The lacking things about my education at Calvin Theological Seminary was there mm-hmm. was a, a great emphasis on crafting sermons that are impressive in their vocabulary and yeah. structured very well and organized but zero emphasis on boldness declaring god's word and that was especially in i would say preaching classes and in pastoral care situations mm-hmm. it was empathy listen um but there are times in pastoral care situations and from the pulpit where the the christian minister declares the word of god mm-hmm. believe this trust this um, know God's word. Um, I, I, I think that <laughs> among those who are way out in the theologically liberal camp, you're not going to hear that. But even among those who are sort of nearer, um, you know, there's how, how are young people, for example, encouraged in the faith? Is it come in and let's just talk about it? Yeah. Um, or is it trust Christ? Yeah. You know, like what you're doing is a sin and and I want to help you work that out you know like mm-hmm. let, let's turn to Jesus with it let's pray let's let's meet again and and yeah. I want to we're going to put this to death you know like is that yeah. the way that people are talking or among theological liberals I, I just don't hear that kind of language it's a very, it's biblical reformed language and so ultimately I think it's not christian to neglect that hmm. yeah so I think the game then to play is who can be the who can really hold to tota scriptura? Yeah, uh, that's really what, what I think. It sounds to me like you're getting at is that a lot of times we highlight certain features of scripture. So I've often mm-hmm. heard mm-hmm. progressives hear what what you've just said and turn that back on you and basically say, "Well, you're diminishing other passages where there's." Lots of talk about justice, yeah. about oppression, about helping the widow and the orphan, orphan and the poor, um, and a lot of conservatives ignore all of that. Um, but we don't get to just pick and choose what parts of Scripture uh, we we think are really most central mm-hmm. uh, to to the gospel or to the Christian faith. If we're going to be faithful to Scripture, we must be faithful to all of Scripture, the totality of Scripture. And so we need to be listening to all parts of it. And I think our contention here along these lines is that there are 
vast sections of scripture and the declaration of the gospel, yeah. the the kerygma, the proclamation uh, that are overlooked, downplayed, or sometimes at worst outright ignored yeah. as being part of Christianity. Um, Almost sort of despised as like, that's an old way of thinking, that declarative. Yeah. And, and like, I think some people think, oh, that doesn't work. It's, it's not relevant anymore. And, uh, you know, an, an example of this, I just was, I'm preaching through Mark 16. And that the resurrection story in Mark is um, Jesus is risen from the dead and they didn't believe. And then we go to these other people, cameras on them. Oh, and they didn't believe. And then Jesus shows up to the disciples and they didn't believe. And Jesus says, believe, why, why didn't you believe? And, and so there in Mark 16, you have this centrality of believing in the resurrection. And that's Jesus' main critique of the disciples as they're gathering afraid. They didn't believe. Oh, ye yeah. of little faith, right? That's another cri- yeah. critique of Christ. And so it is Christian to call people to believe in Christ. And mm. in, in theological liberal circles, that just, there's a lot of emphasis on activity mm-hmm. and on doing the right thing mm-hmm. and of caring for the poor and building the kingdom, you might say, mm-hmm. but very little on conversion and mm-hmm. calling people to faith in Christ, which yeah. is disastrous, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's funny you say all of that because I think that that would lead to that's my big like the weakness that I see in liberalism um, is how it's quite legalistic. Now this mm-hmm. may sound ironic to many mm-hmm. people. One of the things, in fact, that you put on our list here in front of us is a, a sort of antinomianism, so a sort of uh, lawlessness in, yeah. in liberalism, and I think that, that is. That is true in some, in some ways as well, but legalism, this may be more of a shock to people, but I think if, one of the common themes of liberal Christianity is that if you're going to be a good liberal Christian, you must give your undying support uh, and effort and energy to causes of social justice. So this could be racial justice or economic justice or sexual justice or what have you. Uh, You must really give everything that you have to uh, LGBTQ uh, issues in our in our world and in our society or say um, that you're giving it yeah now, often we, it's not even just real activity on, yeah on twitter um that's huge or show up at the rally and you know, virtue signal it wave the flag yep um, or get angry get on get in debates in the youtube comments of videos because when i go to the prison it's not these people who care about social justice who are there it's hmm. evangelicals yeah who are actually there yeah doing it and so i i agree completely with your point but i think it's yeah it's even worse that it's just a lot of yeah. virtue signaling in a lot of cases. Yeah, uh, but these are the sorts of things that if you're a progressive Christian, you have to give yourself to, and there is a whole lot of shame if you don't really fully get on board with all of this, and so there is a legalistic complex happening here yeah. that is really, uh, I think, undermines the gospel. It undermines the uh, the finished work of Christ, um, and, it, and, it's, and it's there's so much talk about how progressives are so against the dumb morality of of christians who are stuck in the past um and they're not they're not tied down or constrained by all the legalism of evangelical christianity uh but for all the talk of that it actually seems like even more of a hamster wheel than what they leave Mm. Uh, and it seems exhausting the amount of pressure that is put on 
liberal Christians by themselves to be these cultural warriors. I think part of this is that their whole understanding of Christianity really lacks, it it profoundly lacks any sort of transcendence or transcendent Mm. divine grace. And so it's really all up to us to transform the world. And so there's lots of talk of building the kingdom as if that is purely a human work that we do. And maybe with God's power, but it's, it's up to us. Yeah, it's yeah. ultimately up to us. And I think we do participate in God's kingdom. We bear witness to God's kingdom, but God is the one who builds his kingdom. Um, of course, we live as citizens of the kingdom of God, and we pray that the kingdom would come on, on earth as it is in heaven. These are all things I talked about last night with the youth group. Um, that I think, and conversion and repentance and calling others to those things is a part of how we, uh, we work as co-laborers with God to, to usher in the kingdom. Not that we do it. I think that that's a, that's yeah. a interesting, uh, fine line that needs to be observed. Uh, but Paul does use that language of being co-laborers or co-workers with Christ mm-hmm. in first Thessalonians. Uh, it's very interesting that, that, that terminology is used. Uh, but we are not the ones who do it. But or, I think the issue then with with liberal Christianity or progressive Christianity, however we want to call it, is that the pressure is really on us. The burden is on our shoulders to bring this kingdom here. And so, and we must do this by making our world just a nicer place uh, for for hmm. people where they where people feel less uh, offended, less hurt. Um, now, I, I do think that part of God's kingdom, is when God's kingdom comes, the world becomes a better place. And insofar as it comes, the world, existence in the world does improve. Mm. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but the kingdom of God, when it comes, that the goodness that, that it brings is goodness that is defined by God's will, yeah. not by our, our feelings. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot more that I could say there, but for the sake of brevity, I will uh, cut myself a little bit yeah, short. The, the kingdom of God is righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. right? And and so yeah. that that's a uh, that's different than what I think a theological liberal means when they talk about the kingdom in but the world. They typically will mean something that is more approaching a progressive utopia, <laughs> the Democratic Party platform in a lot of cases. I mean, just to be quite honest, like yeah. Um, I, that that's a cynical maybe statement there, but <laughs> but I think that um, there's a lot of inf- there's a lot of you would probably say political influence in an interpretation of what the kingdom of God means. There is there are on yeah. both sides, absolutely. Yeah, um, totally. But uh, according to Scripture, it is a, a kingdom like what Paul yeah, says. It's like you're not going to say here it is or there it is, but it's a, a kingdom where there is righteousness. The kingdom is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so hmm. um, that's, uh, yeah, overall, I, I maybe my last little thing about one of the dangers of theological liberalism is that they just get some very important ethical matters very wrong hmm. in, uh, in how, so the matter of homosexuality um, or really sexuality in general um, I, I wonder in a theologically liberal church or with a theologically liberal pastor, would you hear such a person say, among you there must not be a, even a hint of sexual immorality? Hmm. Um, I, I have a, a young man who, who I'm uh, acquaintances with. I was once friends with him. He 
came out as as gay and is, is um, living with his boyfriend and yeah, claiming you know to be a, a Christian, uh, mm-hmm. doing all the predictable liberal um, posts and social media and so forth. And um, my sense my sense in engaging with with him is sexual purity is very different in the theological liberal world than it is in the biblical world hmm. i would say than it is prescribed by 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 god it's almost as if once the permission is given for homosexual activity then none of the fornication a living together yeah. um uh lust those things are just all gone it hmm. is is sort of my my reading on at least how how his life is kind of going, and I think that that's probably very fair. It's how the cr- so-called Christian gay community has presented themselves to to me through media, and um, it, it's it's not a a gathering of people who are just fighting sexual immorality, oh. and uh, they're they're striving for purity, for union with Christ, and it, yeah, it's almost yeah. like well, now that we've 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 got this part figured out, um, and and we believe that gay marriage is okay. Mm-hmm. Then all of it is kind of just well, we'll just sort of do our own thing over here. Yeah. Um, and so on the on the matter of sexual ethics, um, I just don't think you're going to hear from a theologically liberal pulpit a serious warning about the disaster of that of, of sin in general. But but that one, which is a, f- yeah. a favorite sin in America right now, yeah, it's the it's the I guess the trendy sin yeah. to, to talk about and to emphasize and highlight in in conversations. Um, but yeah, I think you do see that, and I think it boils again. It boils down to the authority of Scripture. Um, when when Scripture speaks in the way that it does regarding sexual immorality, it's very clear. It's very forceful. Um, it, it's. There's not a whole lot of uh, wiggle room, I don't think. Uh, nevertheless, those sorts of things get overlooked. And actually, sexual purity more and more is bad language. Yeah, to, to even use. just talk like that would um, be uh, cause some to bristle, right? Yeah. Purity culture—that's what you're all yeah. about. It's like no, and not, there are problems with purity yeah. culture in this in the sense of like the '90s and everybody, you know, have like your little your purity ring or whatever. Yeah. There can be issues with that. Uh, I know plenty of people who had purity rings who really today. <laughs> didn't they don't have any hang-ups with it they actually think okay there was something good my dad yeah. cared about me yeah and it wasn't the end of the world or anything but some people <laughs> it was really it was there was some more complications to some it Some control element uh, to it yeah and so yeah but i think that now we've gotten to the point where i've i've heard a lot of progressives say i will no longer say sexual purity we will speak only of sexual integrity uh, which i i confess i'm not exactly sure why mm. why that's the case um, other than the word purity taking on way too much baggage which is a biblical word which is a word yeah. that we just yeah simply we need to recapture yeah um, but that's that I think this gets to the overall issue of allowing culture or political trends to influence even how we would read the Bible and see a word like purity and yeah. the and, or sex, sexual immorality in the Bible and say yeah oh I'm I've, I've got to somehow explain that away instead of reversing it and saying, well, here's the call in scripture to have, yeah. to, to fight this, you know, to die to it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so what what's in my life that's causing me to cozy up to it yeah. a little bit too much? Yeah. I, I just think so often theological liberalism reverses that that trajectory, that path. Yeah. So we, we have covered a lot of yeah. ground, I think, in this episode. Um, this is one that I'm sure will really uh, stir up some thinking. Uh, we really aren't trying to get out the pitchforks and the torches yep. and go on a witch hunt here. Um, but we do have, I think, some strong reservations uh, and critiques of the liberal Christian movement. Uh, but we would love to hear feedback, even whether you agree with us or you don't. It would it would be something that we're always up for. So you can find our emails. You can find our Facebook page. Uh, those are probably the best ways to yep. interact. Um, and we would love to hear from you, hear more of your thoughts and dialogue uh, going forward. And we look forward to being again with you next week. All right, bye.